can you hear me okay? Yeah. You sound grumpy, but seeing you is like a ray of sunshine for oh, me. I'm so fucking grumpy. Why are you so grumpy? Grunge girl needed to drive to Boston this morning for work. Mm-hmm. We're out in Western Mass, but her car was broken. Then she took my car, but she got a little scared because it was raining. and It was, it was raining like crazy was this morning. I was also driving a very long way in the rain this morning. Oh, Skeeter, do not eat fucking audio equipment. <laughs> but, you know, unfamiliar car and yeah. dark, awful rain. So she was stressing. New England drivers are pure evil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's very delicate. She's very delicate. But I'm also very delicate. It's true. So I drove her to Boston this morning. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot on your plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of like a surprise. You're driving to Boston. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, we had to bring Skeeter, of course, because you can't just leave Skeeter alone. No. So I imagine he was making a ruckus in the car. No, he was amazing in the car. He was just Aww. in the passenger seat. Little with baby. His, his head was on like the center aisle and just looking <sighs> up at me the whole time. I was driving back. That is really cute. Please clone Skeeter and send one clone to my house, please. I would love to clone this animal. As I'm looking at your smiling face, Hava, it's making me feel a little better. Well, that's good. I was also on a long trip in the rain this morning because I had an appointment in Longmeadow, Massachusetts, for my top surgery follow-up, my first follow-up with my surgeon. And it's about two hours from here to there. And my appointment was at 1045, so we had to wake up very early to go there. (sighs) And that was very tiring. And then I got home, I had about an hour to rest, and then I had a meeting, and then I had about 30 minutes to rest, and now I'm here. So I am but a withered husk. A withered husk with big boobies, though. Big titty withered husk. Rabbi for the win. That's pretty good. Yes. This is our first big titty podcast. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, it is. Can you, listener, can you feel the energy through your headphones, listeners? I hope you can. No, you're exactly the same. (laughs) No, I'm completely different. They really changed me. Yeah, it's great. Um, Why am I saying it's great? Sure, yeah, it's great. (laughs) Yeah, it is great. It is great. Yeah, but it was a drag going all that way for an appointment. And the appointment was mostly good, but my surgeon was a little bit rude. I mean, when it all comes down to it, I would still recommend her because the results are great. And because for those of you who don't already know this, all surgeons are fucking rude. If you're out there getting ready to become a surgeon, fuck you in advance. (laughs) Clearly you provide an important service to the world. I don't know what it is about becoming a surgeon that turns someone into like the worst kind of jock you ever knew in high school. But the two surgeons who I have had the displeasure of working closely with have both been extremely arrogant motherfuckers. Basically, we were in this follow-up meeting for the boobies that she gave me. And I was telling her, because I went quite big, And I was telling her I was surprised how natural this big size looked on me because it feels natural to me given my frame and height that I should have big boobs. Mm -hmm. Essentially, I can't remember her exact wording, but her intent was basically like, if that's what you want to believe, like, go for it. Whoa. Was that like an indirect callback to like, you should have did the size smaller the way I suggested? Yeah, I mean, when we had our initial consult she had the sizes that she brought out and I chose the middle of the three possible ones. And she had commented that I was choosing a larger size, but she never was like 
clearly expressed an opinion that I should do something different. Huh. So I don't know. I, I was like, bitch, you did this. Okay. <laughs> it was your responsibility to speak up. Are you sure it wasn't just doctor inability to be social? So like, oh, in the response to this sort of comment, I need to give a neutral non-acknowledgement of an aesthetic judgment. She literally should have just said they look great. Like, I mean, she did say they look great, but in that moment, she should have just like repeated that. And that would have been plenty, even if she didn't mean it, you know, like, I don't know. It was just fucking rude. And surgeons, in my experience, are just like that. My bottom surgeon was also just like really uncouth which when you're getting ready for surgery can be reassuring because you're like yeah i want someone who thinks cutting open my body is like no biggie you know i want someone who's like yeah whatever like i create 15 sets of boobs before lunch like don't worry about it i'm gonna get in there i'm gonna give you some boobs it's gonna be fine chill out but afterwards okay i need you to transform into a sensitive person now it's like hooking up with any man you know Before, you're like, wow, this callous and hurtful attitude is attractive to me because of my trauma. And then afterwards, you're like, I need you to transform into someone emotionally sensitive now. uh, Slot just was said to me. And uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And now it's being barked at you. Oh, can you hear that? Peter, no. It's hopeless. So obviously I just said a bunch to you, but it was all true. But it is it is the basics of how I am today. You know, that's my real occupying force. That and I just took on a, a really incredible amount of work this fall and winter. And I'm maybe regretting that choice. But I needed the money to live. So. Oh, yeah, money. I do want to say Shomala has registration for a class going right now. I'm very excited for it to happen. It's called It Is in the Heavens, Jewish Astrology and the Talmud and Beyond. It's going to start on Sunday, starting October 30th. It is being taught by the incredible Lexi Kohansky, who we should definitely have on the show sometime. Incredible trans femme teacher of Torah and all around brilliant person. And it's just going to be driving into all kinds of freaking juicy stuff about what the rabbis thought about the stars. I'll put a link in the description for everyone to register for it. So that we can all be annoying each other by like saying things like, that's such a Leo thing to say. But whatever the equivalent of Leo is that we're going to learn about in this class. Oh, that'd be cool if we have uh, totally different Zodiac names and stuff. Yeah. They're actually in some of the oldest synagogues that exist. There were Zodiac motifs in the mosaics on the floor. I have seen that. I have seen that. Jews used to be about that Zodiac. So Michael... Is that all about how you are? Just grumpy, grumpy from the car? Anything else going on in your life? Yeah, that's kind of it. I think that's kind of it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're here together. It's nice to be back after two weeks of absence. Thank you, listeners, for being patient while we pupate. We're here today to discuss Russian Doll Season 1, Episode 8, the finale of Season 1. And I guess, theoretically, the finale of season one of our Russian Doll coverage. Let's just start off with general thoughts before we even do summary. What'd you think? Good finale? Was it a good cap on the series for you? Yeah, well, this is the second time I've watched the finale in my life, and I remembered how it ended. Mm -hmm. I think it's good, but I'm not sure if... (laughs) Okay, clearly we're going to get into this. uh, I'm not sure if it's good because it's a little mysterious. It's Mm -hmm. a little bit anticlimactic. Maybe. Okay, we clearly we should discuss the summary so we can discuss yes, yes, the yes. specifics. Okay, so here's what happens in the finale 
of Russian Doll Season 1. If you recall, at the end of the last episode, Nadia was bleeding on the floor. We open on our heroes back in their starting positions. Nadia in her bathroom. Alan in his bathroom. There's a really great sequence where the two different songs that are themes throughout the show are playing in this weird, super trippy remix. And they come out. So Nadia comes out into her party and she's just loving on Maxine. And it's very sweet to see them like finally just sort of being happy together. She's loving on everyone and everyone is loving that for her. Yes, yes. After realizing from the prior episode that she's losing people every time she reincarnates. Right. She's so excited for everyone to be back. Yeah. So suddenly everyone's back. Yes. It's very nice. And she's like, okay, I gotta go get Alan. And Maxine is like, why the fuck are you leaving my party? And Nadia's like, I've got to do it. And they have sort of a silly little fight, but they make up in the end. Very sweet. And then we go to Alan and Alan is like, okay, I'm going to go meet Nadia, you know? Yeah, and he's also happy because his fish is back. His fish is back. His fish is back. And so they both know that they were successful, seemingly. So Alan goes to Nadia's party. But by the time he gets to Nadia's party, Nadia has already gone to the deli. He has a really cute moment where he tells Nadia's other friend that Nadia is sorry she said not to adopt the puppies. Yeah, the Mastiff puppies. That was really nice. Yeah, I thought that was very sweet. And it's very sweet to see Alan happy. He has like this encounter with a woman on the street where they like flirt with each other a little bit. And, And Nadia, too, had a parallel encounter with an old man. And they flirt with each other. Do you oh, remember that? Oh, yeah, with the old guy from Alan's building. He's like, I'm not going to let you in the building because I don't know who you are, but like, you're cute. But you're hot. <laughs> but like, I'm still not going to let you in because I'm a good neighbor. <laughs> yeah. It's the perfect neighbor is a yeah. neighbor who will not let strangers into your building, but also imply that you're attractive in a non-threatening way. Right. So everyone's having like good experiences with people both they know and strangers it's like the ideal public private life balance and a perfect utopian urban setting where everyone is just really full of love and it's great everyone's wonderful but then as they start to show up in the deli we realize that they are in separate universes because they both encounter ferran the guy who works at the bodega and He's surprised that they know each other. They each have separate encounters with Ferran. And that's when we start to realize that they are in separate universes. And so they're hanging out in the deli and their fateful moment starts to reoccur. For Alan, he sees Nadia coming in with Mike, the asshole. Mm-hmm. And for Nadia, she sees Alan stumbling over drunk. So they have to work to save each other from those moments. And of course, neither one of them wants to believe the other. One of them because he's really drunk and one of them because Nadia just wants to fuck Mike and like not listen to Alan and not open herself up to any new experiences or vulnerabilities. They just keep working on each other. Alan keeps bothering Nadia and like uh, surprising her with facts that he knows about her. Nadia keeps sort of like following a drunken Alan and trying to shepherd him along. 
And eventually, Alan does save Nadia from getting hit by a car. Ultimately, she chooses to, like, walk off with him instead of Mike. And it's very sweet. Nadia goes back to Alan's apartment to stop him from jumping off the building. She's really scared that she's failed at one point because she can't find him. But then he walks up right behind her. They have this really sweet moment where he's like, do you promise if I jump that I'll be happy? And she's like, no, but I promise you won't be alone, which I thought was very sweet. Yeah, that was very sweet. And so they're all alive and all in their separate universes. And then they go walking off into the night and they join a wild parade going through a tunnel in the East Village and we get a sort of side-by-side split screen of the parades converging, and ultimately their universes merge. Yeah, their universes merge. I replayed the scene where the universes merge, and you can kind of like see two Nadias, even like three mm-hmm. Nadias walking past each other. So yeah. I, I don't know how the um, physics of, of the universe merging stuff works, but somehow the universes merge. It all merges in this big, beautiful parade, and they wander off into the night, and it's very beautiful. So that's what happened. So here's what I have to say. I told Michael before we recorded this episode that I yelled aloud at the television (laughs) at a certain point. And at that point was when they were in the deli encountering their fateful moments. And what I yelled at the screen was, of course, because they have to encounter the same circumstances. And what I yelled is relevant to... um, Maimonides Mishnatora Teshuva 2.1. Who has reached complete Teshuva? A person who confronts the same situation in which he has sinned when he has the potential to commit the sin again and nevertheless abstains and does not commit the sin because of his Teshuva alone and not because of fear or lack of strength. For instance, if a person engaged in forbidden sexual relations with a woman and afterwards they met in privacy in the same country while his love for her and his physical prowess still persisted, nevertheless, he abstained and did not transgress. This person is a complete master of teshuva. If he does not repent until his old age at a time when he's incapable of what he did before, even though it's not a high level of teshuva, he is still a master of teshuva. If he transgressed throughout his entire life and repented on the day of his death and died in repentance, all his sins are forgiven. And thus, we can infer that if one remembers his creator and repents before he dies, he is forgiven. So what I was yelling at the TV was that I finally realized on this watch that the reason they had to go to separate universes is because we're really working off... This is like the strongest proof I've seen that Natasha Leone read this Maimonides before making this show because they had to return to the exact same circumstances. And that couldn't happen if they were in the same universe because for Nadia to see the same circumstances, she would need to see Alan at his worst. And for Alan to experience the same circumstances, he needed to encounter Nadia at her worst. This is why they had to go through the whole separate universes piece of this episode is because they needed to really be put through the ringer and have their repentance and their change tested. And that's what I think makes this episode such a great wrap-up to the whole series. Hmm. 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 (laughs) I love the two universes thing. It just seems it all happens so quick. This episode is like less than half an hour. Yeah, they're all super short, actually, when you look back on it. It's almost such a clean wrap-up. It's, it's such a clean fix. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the like a Job fix. Yes and no. I mean, part of what I like about the fix is, is that they really have to try to help each other. You know, it's not like they go back 
And Nadia's like, Alan, no, don't. Like, Alan really resists being helped, and Nadia really resists being helped. And, like, the extent of their commitment to being vulnerable to each other is, like, really tested. Yeah, it is. But they also have, like, crazy superpowers. Right. Like, they know a bunch of facts. Yeah, it's really helpful. It's like going bowling with the bumper lanes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, so this is another thing that I really actually enjoyed about this episode is most of this series, I've been kind of thinking of their time loops as oftentimes as purgatory, if not outright punishment for their shitty behavior, basically. But then upon watching this, it really makes their loops feel like a gift, you know, like they're able to repent in a way that never would have been possible without supernatural intervention, you know, and the universe or God enabling their change. And what that actually made me realize is just like how miraculous and wonderful it is anytime we get a chance to like repair hurt in real life, because it's so easy for those moments to just slip by us. Yeah, it's just like so easy. I can think of so many opportunities in my own life where it seems like the moments for repair, like I didn't seize them because I wasn't ready for them because I hadn't had a bunch of time loops to prepare. Yeah, it's true. The time loops are kind of a gift. There are all sorts of types of bad things that happen that are impossible to repair without the help of time loops. So they're very lucky. I'm really struck by the fact that the thing that joined these two people together, Alan and Nadia, prior to them getting involved in each other's life in these loops is their connection through the bodega and this one guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I was actually at the same time thinking about how interesting it would be to see a parallel series from Ferran's point of view, because he's really like there at the crossroads of everything. You know, and in these universes where they didn't save each other, he's losing to people who seem like pretty special friends to him. I mean, Nadia, maybe more on the acquaintance level, but definitely enough to emotionally affect someone. And, and Alan seems like an actual true friend of Ferran. And yeah. Yeah. And then the other character, of course, who is at the nexus is horse yes horse which i thought it was very strange in this episode that horse kind of goes to the dark side yeah horse sort of like uh works on robbing alan while alan is really drunk i wrote that down in my notes i said horse isn't always nice like he's portrayed Mm -hmm. as such like an innocent victim of society Mm -hmm. in other episodes he's so like intimate and giving and then in this episode he's taking advantage of someone right i think there is this kind of nod to like the demonic nature of humans how no one is like truly good or bad and that's just kind of like a background little reference to that which is you know tied to this whole exercise that these two imperfect humans had to go through in order to become better and right Right. Did you bring any texts? Oh, don't kill me. I didn't bring any texts. (sighs) Okay, well, let me bring in another one then. So I also brought a couple other things. One is just a classic text from Pirkei Avo 216. Rabbi Tarfon used to say, It is not upon you to finish the work, but neither are you free to neglect it. 
So there's a classic Talmud quote that you'll see on all kinds of inspirational Talmud calendars and shit. I was just thinking about it because I felt like it was really the vibe during their quest to help each other. I mean, they were committed to finishing helping each other, but it really took a lot of persistence from each of them to sort of convince the other one to accept the help. And at the same time, I felt like they had a lot of acceptance for where the other person was at, like when Nadia was shepherding a drunk Alan around, she was like, yeah, like I'm, I can't stop trying to help you. And like, I'm just going to follow you around and keep meeting you where you're at. Like, I felt like they were both embodied having this patience about helping the person, but also like really accepting that they, in the words of Rebbe Tarfon, weren't at the liberty to neglect it. Like they couldn't step away from that duty. We, we've talked about that quote Maybe on the podcast, maybe not. That quote's related to performing the mitzvot. Mm -hmm. There's 612 of them. No one can reasonably do them all. I think 613. Oh, sorry, 613. Whatever. (laughs) And how the goal is not to achieve sort of perfect grace in Mm -hmm. all of your actions. It's to strive for it. It's interesting, too. Like, you can't really make someone not throw themselves off a roof, but you can certainly Mm -hmm. be in their life and strive that, you know, that they don't hurt themselves. And there is something in that. It acknowledges the... The lack of control. Lack of control, that there's some sort of limit to what you can do. Right, right. So true. I think it's very strange that we're able to hold in our heads ideals that we can only ever strive for. It seems very Mm -hmm. strange that we're able to do that for ourselves and for other people. This makes me think of the horse scene again. Right. It's like you think he's just this magical good guy, but actually he's just a regular ass person. He's just a regular ass person. And it's like we projected something that we want him to be, that we know he could be or that we know that he could strive to be. Mm -hmm. And he isn't. And it's shocking to us. It's very weird that that is present in our minds. Yeah. I felt like this theme was also really up in the way Nadia ends up approaching her mother in the end. And we'll see more of this in season two. But, you know, she's trying to forgive her mother. She's trying to forgive herself. And in the end, I feel like she gets to a place where it's like she hasn't really forgiven her mother and she's maybe partially forgiven herself. But at least she like knows what the work is to be done and like knows that her mother was a person and that she was a child and that everyone did their best, basically. Yeah, it's very nice. Well, yeah. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it yet, but that sounds really nice. Getting into a non-Jewish text, I was reminded of this quote that has always been really important to me. This is from the Stephen Mitchell translation of the Bhagavad Gita, 240, where we read, On this path, no effort is wasted. No gain is ever reversed. Even a little of this practice will shelter you from great sorrow, which in context is about the path to enlightenment. But I think it's fair to bring that into this realm of thinking about both the mitzvot and and forgiveness and, and all of those things. Like, it's been a really important way to frame things for me that, like, nothing good is ever truly lost and that, like, good things we do, the good is done if you improve 
someone's life like that improvement is real even if bad things happen later yeah it is weird that uh i have that we both at least have that kind of weird abacus Mm -hmm. of good and bad stuff that's happening and recorded like in my mind that stuff is recorded somewhere permanently Mm -hmm. i remember when i was really depressed all i had going for me was like playing for contra dances Mm-hmm. At least in my head, what I perceived as the only only thing I had going for me was like, I'm pretty good at playing for contra dances. And I was like, at least right. I made some people happy. Right. There was a Tumblr post way back in the day that I really related to where someone was like, I don't really feel like I'm good for anything, but sometimes I take things out of my dog's mouth that would hurt him if he ate it. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's good. Good technique for everyone out there. Right. It feels very related to this approach that I was talking about Nadia and Alan taking towards helping with each other is like you just sort of sometimes you just have to throw your good out into the world and you're not in control of whether it lands, you know, the way you want it to. All you can do is sort of like offer what you have to offer. You know, this show is like the opposite of Gilmore Girls. I thought you meant our podcast, but I now realize you mean Russian Doll. No, 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 no. Proud to be the podcast that's the opposite of Gilmore Girls. No, no, no. Russian Doll, it's so... Russian Doll is so sincere. Yes, and it's all about the characters growing instead of being the same fuck-ups for eight seasons. Gilmore Girls is about drama and wittiness and witty references. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And like clever little quips. And, and this show is, like, so sincere. I don't know. Are, are we just sincere projecting onto the show, Hava? <laughs> I truly don't know. We'll have to wait until, God willing, one day we get Natasha Leone to come on the show and tell us. Oh, it'd be funny if she came on the show and she's, like, the most sincere person. The most yeah. just, like... Oh, Natasha, it's like too much, making me it cringe. Would be great. I would be delighted. You would be cringing, but I would be thriving. Uh, I would be, yeah, no, it'd be too much. So there's one more thing, which I didn't really know. There's no way to fit this into a text, but have you watched many Jodorowsky movies, Michael? I did watch with you the documentary. The Holy Mountain. Yeah, about the whole Holy Mountain. Yeah, okay. Well, that movie is a lot. Wait, wait, wait. The, the Holy Mountain, that's the one that's about... No, 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 no. I didn't watch The Holy Mountain. I watched the one that's about Jodorowsky's Dune. Oh, Jodorowsky's Dune. Okay. Right, 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 right. Well, right. you still get a great impression of what the fuck his deal is. Yeah, from I get that. kind of like an egomaniacal. Yeah, he's a lot. He seems like not a great guy, problematic at best. Yeah, as many a director probably is. But the parade scene really reminded me of a scene from his movie endless poetry which is part of his bio autobiographical trilogy of movies where they have an incredibly similar parade that looks just like that his movies are all just like incredibly surreal and just like share a lot of dna with russian doll i think and i was sort of uh, had this affirmed to me even further when I realized that in season two, there's a part where the phrase Jodorowsky's Dune is the password for Nadia to get in somewhere. So clearly Jodorowsky on the brain. Also, Jodorowsky is a Jew, a Chilean Jew. Also relevant facts. Okay. So you can see in that image, this parade from Endless Poetry looks like so similar like color themes costumes very similar to what was going on in the nadia parade scene yep one i just thought that was interesting like jodorowsky as problematic as he is his films are really 
interesting surreal explorations of like growth and self-transformation so it's interesting to see that dna and two i really liked this quote he has from endless poetry which felt very relevant for our characters alan and nadia where his character in endless poetry says loneliness means not knowing how to be with oneself which i feel like is a very apt description of the problems of alan and nadia at the beginning of the show like alan can't stand to be with himself he needs to be with beatrice to feel that he is not a fuck up and nadia literally hates herself and is trying to get as far away from herself as possible right 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 by numbing herself yeah they both have different strategies for not confronting who they are or how they feel about themselves Exactly. And as fucking corny as this is to say, like, the way in which they learn to be with each other is by learning to be with themselves. And that's like the true summation of season one of Russian Doll is two people learn how to accept themselves and that allows them to help each other. And that's just life. That's just the true, real way things work. Oh, my God. I knew this episode was going to be like too powerful sincerity for you because it's the finale, you know, the time for the time for quips of Russian doll has passed. This is like where it delivers its full payload. This is what you do to me. This is the this is your thing. This is what I do. This podcast is just like approximately an hour of me sincerity pilling Michael. You're like a siren. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's my siren call. And then I crash upon your rocks of sincerity. I love it. It it did feel a little little quick and a little bit wrapped up, a little neat and tidy. Well, don't worry. We'll get fucked up in season two. You'll realize how unhealed everyone's trauma truly is. Oh, great. Good. I'm excited about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice watching this with season two context because I might agree with you, but season two is just like, I mean... Spoilers for our season two episodes, but season two is very much like, surprise, you thought you were healed? Ha! You have so much more healing to do. Okay, well. Which is a very relatable experience. I think we've all had that one therapy session or taken that one antidepressant where we're like, mental illness, gone. Trauma, healed. And then the, literally the next day you wake up and you're like, it's a fool. And yeah. this episode is that experience <laughs> in a single episode of television. Who hasn't been there? Well, I don't think we quite made our full hour goal, but I feel like we had juicy discussion. And if we keep going, it'll just be me giving cognitive behavioral therapy to Michael. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're easing back in after two weeks. You know, you can't. Yeah, we're just... easing back in. My boobs are still sore. The collective boobs of the universe are still sore. Yep, yep. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Next week, I think we're going to do some listener question stuff. That's right. So if you've been waiting on your listener questions to get answered, some of them will be answered next yeah, week. Maybe yours will. Which ones? Tune in and find out. Thank you all for your support. We love you so dearly. It's great to be back having these fireside bedside chats with you all again. And we'll talk to you soon. Shavuotov. Shavuotov. <laughs>